You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Patch Tuesday reviews, Microsoft closes 13 vulnerabilities, five of them critical, Adobe fixes Flash Player, and Google addresses Android issues. Trigger-based mobile malware and why it's hard to see, why usability matters to security, Tesco continues to recover from ATM fraud, thermostat trouble in Finland, and oh yeah, we also hear there was some kind of election or something in the U.S. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 9th, 2016. Yesterday and today, of course, have been big news days. Microsoft issued 13 security bulletins, five of them rated critical. Among the vulnerabilities patched is the one Google publicly disclosed last week to Redmond's displeasure. That fix closes a privilege escalation hole in Windows that can be used to escape security sandboxes. Adobe and Google also patched. Adobe addressed issues in Flash Player and Adobe Connect, fixing nine remote code execution vulnerabilities. Google addressed 12 critical vulnerabilities in Android, including the bit-flipping privilege escalation risk known as Drammer, but Mountain View left a comprehensive fix for the Dirty Cow Linux kernel rooting vulnerability to a further round of patching. A supplemental patch did deal with Dirty Cow for Nexus and Pixel devices. Other handsets will get their fix next month. Google also noted that Chrome's safe browsing will henceforth crack down on sites determined to be repeat offenders. In response to reports that Android malware in the wild is becoming more trigger-based and more evasive, Giovanni Vigna, LastLine's co-founder and CEO, told the CyberWire that, quote, As users are increasingly relying on their smartphones for security-critical operations, such as banking, cybercriminals are leveraging these new activities to collect information about two-factor authentication messages or credentials to spread malware through social network accounts, end quote. He also sees usability issues. It can be tough for a smartphone user to know what applications are running at any given time, which opens up vulnerabilities to phishing and clickjacking. Quote, malware takes control of the device and presents to the user a login page similar to the one the user intends to use. By doing this, the malware can collect credentials that are later used for spreading malware and performing social engineering attacks. End quote. Recent studies, notably one from the consultancy CEB, have suggested that a majority of employees don't generally follow all of their enterprise's breach prevention policies. But that doesn't surprise experts in the security industry. 
Mike Amadi of Synopsys Software Integrity Group told the CyberWire he wasn't surprised because, as he put it, quote, I have indeed been in the same situation. In one case, the IT department simply did not have any failure mode in place to compensate for instances where policies caused a halt in workflow due to any of a number of reasons. I was still expected to get the job done, and the lower-level IT support staff would often suggest a workaround. End quote. It's not that employees are careless, malicious, or negligent. It's that their enterprises expect productivity. As Amadi noted, they don't reward unproductive employees for following data loss prevention policy. Zoltan Gyurko, CEO of Balabit, thinks the studies are discouraging and demonstrates a need for real-time monitoring. The lesson seems to be this. If security doesn't come with usability, it will be self-defeating. Banking malware is also evolving this week. Svipang, a mobile Trojan Kaspersky is found lurking in the AdSense network, is troubling bank customers. Indian users seem especially affected. Researchers at IBM X-Force warn that TrickBot, a dire successor, is using server-side injection and redirection against its targets. British bank Tesco has brought its operations back closer to normal, but it says £2.5 million were lost to debit card fraud over the past week. The money seems to have gone to crooks in Spain and Brazil. Investigations are in progress and the precise mechanisms of the fraud remain unknown. Canadian electronic collection policy has become controversial. It's receiving a great deal of scrutiny after allegations surfaced that at least 10 journalists in Quebec came under police surveillance. If you're a Skype user like us, there's research from the University of California, Irvine, that suggests you may want to think twice before multitasking while you're on that call. We spoke with Professor Gene Sudik from UCI about potential security vulnerabilities that come from typing on your keyboard while using Skype. They faithfully transmit the sound from one side to another, right? That's what they're all about. This includes the sounds of the keys being pressed. There's nothing, no, nothing surprising about that. What hasn't been realized uh, until, until recently is that someone who is taking part in a conversation with you can reconstruct what keys are being pressed you know, by recording and analyzing the sound of the keystrokes being pressed. Uh, we can determine what was typed into the keyboard on the other side of the Skype conversation. How, with just the sound of the keys being pressed, how can you then convert that into, uh, into text? If we know, let's say, the computer that is being used, so let's say it's a, um, Apple MacBook Pro, we know that it has a certain type of keyboard. Every time you press a key, it makes a sound, but different keys make different sounds. By training uh, our sort of program to recognize, to, to, to map incoming sounds into the key sounds that the, the keyboard makes, we can determine what key is being pressed. Now, the second possibility is that I don't know uh, what you're using. Oftentimes, uh, especially if we're using um, video conferencing in addition to audio conferencing, it's actually possible to see the keyboards, especially if they are external. So it might be possible to determine what kind of a keyboard is being used in real time. The other possibility is that I really don't know what, what you're using. Well, it turns out that there is a finite number of keyboard types out there, you know, so let's assume you're not using some kind of exotic, I don't know, Swahili keyboard. You know, I'm pretty sure you're using a normal, you know, like U.S. English type keyboard, right? And for each one of them, it is not difficult to build a sound profile. That is to build a profile of the sounds that individual keys make on that keyboard. And uh, what degree of accuracy do you get? 
what we have done so far is fairly clinical experiments. Clinical, I mean, we try not to have extraneous noise. If we know the keyboard type, the accuracy is in the low 90%. I, I expected it to be fairly accurate, but I never expected it to be that accurate. But I can almost completely guarantee you that what, what we have done is known to the hacker community and Surely, if it's known to the hacker community, it's probably known to the intelligence community. That's Professor Gene Sudik from the University of California, Irvine. In industry news, there's some M&A activity to report. Thycotic, backed by Insight Venture Partners, has acquired Cyber Algorithms, a Virginia-based network security analytics shop. No financial details are available, but it's worth noting that Cyber Algorithms is an alumnus of the Mach 37 Cyber Accelerator. And California-based Synopsys has agreed to acquire Sigital, a provider of software security managed and professional services. Synopsys will also pick up Codescope, a Sigital spin-off that provides complementary security tools. Both acquisitions are expected to be completed next month. Oh, the U.S. held elections yesterday, we heard. Voting was little disturbed by hacking, with high turnout and despite fears of DDoS or manipulation of results. There were reports of some low-grade telephonic denial of service that had very limited effects on both parties' get-out-the-vote ground game. The precautionary DHS all-hands-on-deck appears to have remained just that, precautionary. The information operations mounted from Russia over the course of the presidential campaign will be dissected for months, if not years to come. In the meantime, WikiLeaks's Julian Assange assumes the unlikely mantle of good government advocacy. Well, tell it to Vlad, Jules. Fears of Russian intervention in European elections, particularly in the Balkans and Central Europe, will now displace worries about voting in America. Finally, while DDoS may have left the U.S. electoral Internet of Things largely alone, the same can't be said of IoT devices in smart homes over in Finland. Residents of two smart apartment buildings in Lapinranta, Finland, complained that their heat was off over the weekend. Smart thermostats were being subjected to DDoS and so kept rebooting, effectively turning off the heat. It's in the teens in Lapinranta right now, according to the weather reports our stringers like to keep up with. So, baby, it's cold outside. Check those thermostats and stay warm. Not too warm, mind you, just warm enough. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, you know, I, I recently uh, visited my, my doctor's office, my general practitioner. I went, went in for a checkup. And mm-hmm. when I checked in with the doctor, I hand, you know, they asked for my insurance card, which I gladly uh, handed over. And then right. they asked me for my driver's license. And I, I maybe, you know, paused a, a little bit for that. But I... I didn't want to cause any trouble, so I handed over my driver's license, and the the um, the woman behind the counter took my driver's license and promptly put it in her scanner and <laughs> scanned made it, it part of your electronic medical record. Right, and so that gave me a little bit of pause. Am, am I being am I overreacting here or or not? I don't think you are. Uh, my personal preference is to not give them that kind of information. Uh, my question would be, why do you need my driver's license? Uh, and if the answer was, I'm going to scan it in and put it in your record, my answer would be, you know what? I walked here. I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> you know, I, right. maybe, maybe I would lie. I don't know. Um, I do have a <laughs> driver's license. You're going to be that guy. Yeah, I'm going to be that guy. I'm, I'm always <laughs> that guy. Medical records are very valuable mm-hmm. um, in, on, on the black market. They, I think some of the statistics, statistics I've heard are that they're like 10 times more valuable than other records because... Yeah. They provide information that doesn't change. Right. You know, if I steal a credit card from somebody and start using that credit card, it becomes pretty obvious that I've stolen the credit card, and they cancel the credit card, and the impact to both the customer and the uh, credit card company are minimal. If I steal someone's medical data, I have a lot of information about them. Uh, and if that medical data contains their social security number, that's great. Now I can essentially impersonate that person for a very long time, it becomes a much more a much harder problem to solve than than a lost credit card. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, with this particular doctor, he's part of a group of doctors, which is more popular these days. So, right. you know, in the old days, he kept all of his medical records right there on site. I actually could see the stacks of uh-huh. records. They'd they'd go and pull a file out that was mine. But now it's all electronic. Who knows where it is? I, you know, and I'm, and obviously there are, there are regulations in there. Are best there are regulations. HIPAA all. HIPAA has a bunch of requirements about how you store that data and how you, uh, um, like for example, uh, I work at Hopkins, so we have a system that is storing medical data for research. And, and even though it's it's medical data that functions for a research purpose, it still has to be secured. And that security includes camera on the access point, the physical access point. Hmm. The physical access point has to be locked. Uh, people have to be able to log when they go into the physical into the physical location. That's a security requirement that you don't see on a lot of other places. Hmm. But it is that's part of the requirement for HIPAA. And there's lots of other requirements as well. Yeah. All right. Well, sometimes maybe it's in your best interest to be that guy. Right. I I think it is. (laughs) All right. And I'm not afraid to be that guy. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'm just a little more polite than you, Joe. Yeah, I'm not. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good talking to you. My pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 